Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Good morning to you all and blessings. I uh, hope you're up to taking a third part in our little group of messages about God as a changing reality. Uh, looks like we may here in the UK be heading towards getting out of lockdown, though not too soon. Um, and uh, we'll keep you informed on our plans within that because it will be really great to be able to see you all again uh, at Q. Again, thank you for those who continue to give so faithfully. I know times are hard, but also uh, for many charities, maintaining the functioning capacity uh, through the challenges has not always been easy. So I just wanted to say thank you to those of you who've been so faithful in that respect for us. Uh, now let me say that this, this message should be listened to in tandem with the previous two entitled God as a Changing Reality. Uh, may I also say, please forgive me if you notice my eyes looking down to read. I, I could put some of this script on the script thing that I have for on the uh, on the phone camera. Uh, the problem is I tend to digress and diverge and, and I'm not technically adept enough to know how to stop the autocue so that I can talk and then get the autocue going again without turning the camera itself off. Uh, so please forgive me uh, for that. Uh, if you see me looking down, uh, there's also another reason because I wear very focals. Um, if I have the words too high, when I'm looking at you to talk to you and try to read that, I can't read it because if it's too high, it's blurred. So anyway, uh, I know you can cope with that. I mostly listen uh, when I'm walking anyway, even if it's a video. So I have the phone in my pocket. So for some of you, it won't matter at all. <clears throat> I'm personally not sure whether I'm trying to be a social commentator or a Christian apologist as I continue talking about the curse of tribal religion. Uh, but I sure do know that it's still bugging me. Uh, I think it's because I see the manifest seeds of it all around me, not just in what has been my world for 65 years, 37 of those as a Christian minister, uh, but also from Trump to Brexit to elections won or lost to COVID and vax or anti-vax to deniers and conspiracy theorists to all politics and gender and wealth to religion and non-religion and a myriad other groups and causes and offshoots. When I use the word tribe or tribal, I'm not referring to native ethnic peoples but rather to a way of being and seeing. What I see is a world still caught up in the iron grip of a particular kind of tribal religion begun millennia ago. It began with the emergence of what anthropologists call complex communities, of which we are part. It's when we stop being 
hunter-gatherers and when we progress beyond just being isolated individual farmers or family farmers to come together in what is called complex communities because out of that came the need and development of a particular kind of God different to when we were primary, uh, predominantly farmers and different to when we were predominantly hunter-gatherers uh, and that particular kind of God that, that developed uh, was the warrior God, the, the, the sovereign Lord, the, the, the one who, 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 who conquers all his enemies and elevates one's particular tribe to its rightful place and, and to total dominance. It shouldn't be too difficult to see how this model has bled into other areas of societal thinking from um, economy to politics to to um, to political systems to to church denominations all all of that stuff it, it, it's it's bled through we, we somehow haven't been able to to cure ourselves of it even if within that sphere of operation we don't use terms like God and Lord and church it's it's still a predominant idea that's bled in and fed in that we uh, still find ourselves uh, subject to and promoting on various levels which we could talk about extensively but won't today see see this this idea of of god then this tribal idea of god and religion it inevitably led to the idea of tribal chieftains now we had a need for that um, and of course as we then saw God in that light we then had to have replications of that at other levels of society so, so it led to the idea of tribal chieftains uh, and those tribal chieftains being divine sons of God so the whole idea that whoever was the king or the ruler or the chief had been put there by God or by the gods that it was in you know depending on the religious structure it was in the hands of the gods this was arranged by the gods or if you are in Judeo-Christian type traditions, God ordained this, God sent, God did. But but it's all part of this this concept of 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 God as the warrior God, the sovereign Lord, the one who conquers, uh, the one who rules. Um, and so, of course, from that came the the um, issue, which again, you know, European history goes a lot lot further back than than things like US history um, and you find that in other older cultures India etc etc uh, it spawned the concept of the divine right of kings and uh, for any of you raised in church like me if if you understand the construct of the King James Bible uh, you will realize that one of the edicts of King James was and I'll use this word just to summarize it was that at no point must the interpretation of the scripture undermine the premise or the concept of the divine right of kings okay and their authority and of course then it must also not undermine the authority of the the church so you know any of you familiar with king james version of of the bible will uh, uh, may not be aware of that but once you're aware of it can see it cropping up in various and many places uh, it also led to God being seen as the all-powerful 
superiorly strong, singular, conquering, all-conquering male above the sky. And so the, these concepts have bled into society and we, we still, we're still very much victims of them. Now, in view of that, if, if this was the case, then we get from that that therefore his captains, this, this, this kind of God's captains, must be seen to be not only enforcers but expressions of that idea with special access to God and special powers. So within all that, particularly in the, the church arena, you get things like papal supremacy. You get the whole historic thing of all those years where uh, church services and the Bible could only be in Latin and that the common man didn't understand Latin but the priest learned Latin so the priest was the special person the envoy of God or if you're Catholic of the Pope who was the only one qualified to to inform and to and and to explain uh, the scriptures uh, which if that was through the lens of this kind of God that we've talked about, which I would argue much of the Old Testament, because when it was written, uh, conveys that, then, then you had this, not only this supreme warrior, ruler, um, judge, God, but his captains became enforcers and expressions of that idea with special access to God and special powers. You still see that manifesting, maybe in nicer language today, but it's still there, particularly within the church. Um, and I fear that all this has clouded our vision when it comes to trying to understand the legacy of who Jesus of Nazareth really is and the purpose of and in the Christ, because it gets coloured by that image uh, of God and that tribal mindset in respect to who he is, what he is and how he works and I use the term he um, not because I'm saying God is male as we understand male but because it's a way of defining how most people would talk about the divine in respect to if you have a specific uh, figure called God. Uh, now, now we know that the early Bible takes place in the tribal phase of human religion. We just know it's just anthropologically, historically, sociologically correct. We know that the early Bible took place in the tribal phase of human religion. And the language used in it reinforces this. Chosen people, my people, enemies, foreigners, destroy possess, displace, replace. This is all the language of, of a tribalistic view of God and, let's use the word, religion. And if the truth be known, and you know, this has been my field, and, and I know it, Christianity has found it difficult to shake this mantle and get rid of this model. And there's still been mostly incredibly unsuccessful and I think that does not help with the future uh, of the relevance of the church in society in the 21st century and beyond. And um, it, 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 it's because of this that, that it's become exclusive in its makeup and tribal in its behaviour. 
um, denominations. What are denominations but tribes within the whole? What are factions? What do you mean by factions? Evangelical, orthodox, fundamental, spirit-filled, traditional. All these different terms that, that crop up are just absolute indicators of the reality of the truth that I'm talking to you about of the developing of tribal religion and a tribal God who hates who we hate, who, who loves who we love, etc, etc. Um, of course, this also goes, which I'm very keen at the current time to say, for those of you who don't want to upset you, but you need to be upset, that same, that same exclusivity and tribal behaviour uh, has been showing up very, very strongly because it's, 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 it exists there in the political arena, in the racial arena, in the sociological arena. Now, you may say, well, that's absolutely necessary that this comes to the fore, and I would agree. But if bringing it to the fore only compounds the problem rather than cures the problem, then something has gone wrong in our application of it. I, I said in a previous... Um, a previous talk on this, I think it was the first one, that if we simply replace a prejudice with a prejudice, then the net result is zero. So if a prejudice against something is highlighted, but that then develops a prejudice back against another thing, then we still live in a realm of prejudice. And, and the prejudice that overwhelms the other one will be the one then that the other prejudice comes to overwhelm. And all we have is, is a perpetuating problem, um, which is not helpful of uh, unresolved prejudice. Now, um, I think the root of, of this can be found in a fascinating piece of the Bible in the strange book at the end of the New Testament called Revelation. Strange book. Um, you know, we could say, well, you know, would you explain it to us? No, others, there are some others I can point you to who have done a much better job than probably I would do, but it is a strange book, nevertheless. And uh, I'm pretty much convinced that it doesn't mean what uh, a lot of evangelicals think it actually means. So uh, not getting into that, I just want to pull this fascinating piece out of that book of Revelation. It's in, it's in chapter 12 of the book. And I won't read you the whole chapter, but just verse 10 says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Now, I'm not here to unfold this whole verse for you. You know, we could have conversations about, about various aspects of this statement. But it's one thing I want to draw you to that... that is isolated here that's very very interesting to me it says for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our god day and night has been hurled down now here's the interesting thing the greek word that was translated there accuser is the greek word kategoros now i'm pretty certain that probably a hundred percent of you who are listening if i asked you 
What English word do you think is derived from the word kategoros that you would say the same thing? And you would be right. Our English word to categorize, categories and to categorize flows from this root. Now what's interesting is it's translated accuser accuser of our brothers who accuses them so to accuse is to categorize now here's what i find interesting if this is the case what this verse is pointing to is that the great satan and i don't mean that by some horned creature you know in some fire pit because actually the use of the words devil and and satan actually we have put a um um, we have put an interpretation on those from um, medieval thinking that has created a model within us of what we think that is among the fear of the of the dark ages and the middle ages uh, when actually devil and satan means mean those words mean slanderer or adversary or accuser so anything that was an adversary <clears throat> Um, was a was a, a a devil anything that was a slanderer was a satan uh, so this accuser comes out of that so 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 when i say the great satan i'm not talking about a great being in a fire pit but the great satan was the great categorizer so so categorizing is something that is associated with a satanic reaction or a satanic intervention and i mean that again not from a being down there but just the act of categorizing it's from these things that that we have developed and feel we have the right to create sacred prejudices because we are guilty of categorizing we put people into categories and what happens when we put people into categories? We create the tribal application of whatever it is that we are purporting to believe and promote. It's from these things, as I say, that we develop and feel that we have the right to create what I call sacred prejudices. And, and we all have them in, 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 in many ways in our lives prejudices that we make sacred and because they're sacred prejudices we think they are legitimate prejudices when actually we should take the sacred out of prejudices because prejudice is not right prejudice is categorizing categorizing is a satan work a devil work against humanity and against people and of course those sacred prejudices show up in religion so there are religious sacred prejudices there are political sacred prejudices. There are social sacred prejudices. There are racial sacred prejudices. The truth is none of them are legitimate and none of them will take us towards healing. Because out of those sacred prejudices and because of the tribal nature of our organised groupings, they become supported through what's called confirmation bias. In other words, confirmation bias 
it, it, it occurs from the direct influence of desire on beliefs. Confirmation bias is when our bias that comes from our prejudices, that comes from our categorizing, becomes confirmed by everything that we see here, um, accept, do. We confirm that bias, or in other words, it just seems to us, everything that we see confirms that we're right, that we've got the right angle, that, that our feelings about X people, about, about X group, about this idea, about this concept are right. And, we, and, and all we can see is everything confirming what it was that we believed. It's, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult thing to break in our lives. It, it's something we, we, we tend to flow to quite naturally. Confirmation bias coming from sacred prejudices which come from categorising. And, and the truth is both, both are fed from pulpits and press rooms around the world. Both of them fly around social media you know, like birds in the sky. I, uh, I could get into Hero High and um, predicted exactly the, the um, proportion on Brexit vote in the UK. How I said right before our last election that there would be um, an 85 seat majority was my projection. While watching in some arenas that people being utterly shocked that that was the result. Why is that? Well, uh, you know, say this in all grace, because for all of us, confirmation bias comes in and then we can't believe any other outcome than the one that we have confirmed because of our bias. Now, that's not a statement of right or wrong or who should, who shouldn't. It just I'm just trying to show how these things manifest in our life and then we can't see our way through to the truth that heals. We only grab the kind of truths that divide. So, until we stop thinking in devil ways and doing the work of devils, we'll never be able to create a more wholesome society that looks like what Jesus described as the Kingdom of God. So what do we need to fix this? I cannot speak for other sources, but, but there is a word embedded deep in the Hebrew Scriptures which holds the key within its understanding. And that word is chesed, chesed. Now, I'm told that if you're not spitting on somebody or something when you say this word, you're pronouncing it wrong. Because it's, it, it's chesed, chesed, chesed. And th this word occurs more than 250 times in, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, conveying its origins, actions and character. It's quite a complex word for which in English we don't have one exact uh, word to translate it to, but it conveys something. I mean, it, it in itself is a fascinating uh, study, but, but for want of that academic side of it and not not getting uh, too deep down there let me let me give you why i say that this this word holds the key within its understanding to 
for me, solving this problem of tribal religion, tribal gods, tribal politics, tribal social structures. And this is what one of its uses in, in, in the book of Psalms 136 and, and verse 1. This, this particular statement is repeated many times in that poetic psalm. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now that's from the New American Standard because it just clearly, clearly um, and concisely uh, gives the best understanding, I think, of this word. So, so what do you think is the Hebrew word that is translated into loving kindness? It's the word chesed. Chesed, loving kindness. Probably the best interpretation of the word chesed is the, is the word loving kindness, which, which it says here, in the goodness of the creator is everlasting. Now, it, it's also interesting to me that in the old King James version of the Bible, it translates this verse of all give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Now, now loving kindness is so much more than mercy. I don't want to live in the society that survives because of mercy. I want to live in a society that thrives because of loving kindness. See, mercy conveys to me, maybe it does to you, hope it does to you, mercy conveys condemnation. You need mercy, why? Because of condemnation. If there was no condemnation, you wouldn't need mercy. So translating it that way, which I think is the weakest way to translate it, there is a, a context I could, I could bring to you, but that's the weakest way to, to translate this because what it says to us is that it's just the antidote to condemnation, mercy. But, but where's the thriving in mercy? Mercy is a survival word. Well, you just made it, you got mercy. Loving kindness is a thriving word. And what I'm trying to get through to you is that there's a way not just to survive the, the issue that we have uh, be, succumbed to of tribal thinking, tribal God, tribal religion. There is a way not just to survive that, but there's a way to thrive beyond that. And it's through this ancient wisdom that comes from understanding a God, a source, a creator who has put into this situation loving kindness, not just mercy, loving kindness. That in itself can begin to change your image of God if you believe in God and begin to change your behaviour as a human being whether you believe in God or not. Loving kindness is so much more than mercy. So how, how did those translators in the King James Version manage to turn loving kindness into merely mercy? It, it's, I, I know why, because when they were writing it, uh, it they were already under the grip of, of the tribal understanding of God and, and what he was and his power and who was blessed, who was not blessed, who was in, who was out, where the, the power and authority rested. And it was then all about mercy. You know, the, 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 the informed, the blessed, the called, the included, being at least willing to have mercy on the lesser classes. See how this has all just corrupted everything. 
See, the whole idea of loving kindness is that it excludes from the equation in its application any inclusion of the idea of the recipient being undeserving. And I absolutely love that about loving kindness. In doing that, it removes the idea of separation. And in removing the idea of separation, the understanding of what constitutes salvation becomes radically revolutionised. Tribal division melts into people fusion and a powerful oneness pervades every space. We're all invited to see both ourselves and others through the lens of loving kindness. That is true grace. Perhaps if we do that, we will see God in all things and in doing so be drawn into right relationship with the source from which all life flows. The one I call God, the Abba of Jesus, the one portrayed as the good, good father. That's loving kindness. It's there. Let's find it. Let's live it. And let the good perspective of God be able to do what it's supposed to do in and to our world. I love you. Be blessed. Stay safe. And I'll catch you again. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.